It is grateful, well, at least we're grateful to be here today. Uh, I had some good news this week medically, but again, we all have good news. And that is, we are gonna, one of these days, we're going to all be in heaven, Lord willing. And that's the reason why I'm here today. Uh, if you hear me a growling a little bit, it's not because I don't like you or whatever. I may get wound up a little bit while I'm talking about today. But I believe it's important. And uh, I wanted to say before I begin, I really appreciate your prayers and your thoughts. Um, uh, the idea of, of of dealing with disease and things like that, you know, that's just part of life. But it makes us think about things in a different perspective. I'm grateful that the Lord's brought us through there. I realize one thing, we're here for one thing, and that's to glorify God through Christ. And that's the issue that we need to see today. Where we talk about undenominational Christianity. I don't like using titles that don't deal particularly with scriptural things, but the idea is there's things that have happened in the religious world since the first century that has sort of muddled everything up as far as, well, what should we believe? First, an object lesson. How many fingers am I holding up? Somebody, a wise guy, say, well, you're holding all five of them up. But what's up and erect is one finger, right? How much, how much is that? One. One, okay. One is one, okay. You learned that back in first grade, I believe. Matter of fact, you probably learned it in kindergarten, okay. For those of you that are mathematical geniuses before the age of six, you learned that one is one. Listen to our text for today, John 17, beginning verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through them, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Isn't that interesting? I had a preacher friend, had a preacher friend, uh, interesting individual. He came right out and said, this is a Church of Christ preacher. He said, we are a denomination. Why don't we just admit it? How in the world can somebody say that? When I was looking and seeking for the New Testament church, I understood that one meant one. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Most of us know Ephesians 4, 4. When I hit that, when I was starting to go through the New Testament, it, it, it struck me. It's like one meant one, doesn't it? And that's the issue we're talking about today. We're, a, we're not a denomination. I'm going to define that in just a moment. But the idea is they, uh, people take a look at all the religious world and say, well, you know, we have a lot of good people out there. 
I'm not looking for good people. Matter of fact, to tell you the truth, I want to be a saved people <laughs> or a saved person. And the idea is for us to do what the Bible says, there is a lot that needs to be cleared out of the way. I, I had the roughest time when I was a brand new Christian because I heard things coming out of Christians' mouths that, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what we do here and there. It does. Well, I was up in this pulpit, not the last time, the time before we're going to talk about entrance in the body. I, I made a statement. This is true. There are no options when it comes to salvation. You need to hear and you need to hear God's word. You need to believe and trust in that. Matter of fact, going back to the Old Testament, the word for hear meant to obey. Shema. And that, that carries into the New Testament. When we listen to this, we need to listen to this with an ear towards obeying and keeping it. And this is the problem that some of our brethren have, unfortunately. And, and that I would get distressed about this because, I mean, uh, I mentioned the time when, when I, I came back and I'd been baptized in the Christ and I was sky high and I, I mean, I was, I was excited and I, I knew my sins had been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. I came back there and I told my mother what I had done and she started crying. So what's the matter, mom? I said, well, isn't the Methodist church good enough for you? And I had to hold back. I wanted to tell mom, mom, the word Methodist is not found in the Bible. I want to be, I, I, I actually told her, I wanted to be part of the church that talked about in the Bible, not another religious group. Think about that. I appreciate Chris's study on Acts, the second chapter. That's, that's when the kingdom became a reality. That's where Christ was preached as being there at the right hand of God. That's when the answer was given, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. All these things came together on that day. I realized that, that my religious heritage went all the way back to there, not to Aldersgate with the Wesley brothers or anything else like that. It went way back there because that's where it needs to be. And some of the things I say, if you're not familiar with where we're trying to come from as a restoration movement, trying to get just back to the Bible, are going to sound a little bit, no, they're going to sound very prideful, very sectarian. It's not. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get across the fact that we're trying to be the New Testament church because that's the way we need to look at it. Because I've asked people across the spectrum, uh, whether it be Catholic or Episcopalian or Baptists or Lutherans, even Seventh-day Adventists, I asked them how many different religious groups were there that based their faith on Jesus Christ back in the first century. One. And consequently, if we're trying to be biblical, 
one needs to be all there is. But you're, you're saying you're the only ones that are saved. If you hear anything less than hear this, we need to answer that and say, no, the Bible says one. I'm following the Bible. What about you? That's the key, brethren. That's the key. You know, there's a lot of people, and I, I read, I started reading about church history. Uh, you, can, you can take that with a, uh, well, what you need to do is be very discerning when you do that. Some of our own brethren saying that we're, we're a product of the 17th and 18th century logical movement. John Locke, you know, we, we came from Alexander Campbell, you know, they call us Campbellites or whatever. It's like, to me, back in New Jersey, my dad used to grow tomatoes for Campbell, Campbell's soup. If you've ever had Campbell's tomato soup back prior to World War II, he ate some of my dad's tomatoes. <laughs> of course, I don't know if they didn't make it that far, I don't think, out here, did they? <laughs> But the thing is, okay, it's not about people that have, have tried to get back and restore the Bible. It's actually getting back to the Bible. What does the Bible say on this? We want to be a back to the Bible movement. Some brethren, and this really discouraged me. When I was doing the prison ministry, I would be spending time. I had a little bit of time to grab lunch and get some things done in Atoka. And they had a Church of Christ right on top of downtown. Matter of fact, it was considered part of downtown. And the last couple months I was going down there, they tore the building down. I asked, what happened? Well, you know, there's another Church of Christ south of town. That's a whole other story I won't get into today. But I asked, well, what happened to all the members that are there? I started asking around about that. I just had my hair cut. I was talking to Barber. Barber's a Methodist, by the way. <laughs> he said, oh, well, we got three or four people from the Church of Christ worshiping with us. I said, how did that happen? He said, well, you know, I just want to worship God with us. And he said, well, hold it for a second. We're trying to be a restoration movement. I used to be a Methodist. I, I decided I couldn't be a Christian and a Methodist at the same time. God doesn't put surnames on this stuff. And he said, I was bigger than him, but he had scissors in his hands, right? The thing about it is that that cut me to the heart. You had dear sisters and brothers in Christ. And these three people have been, been in the body for a long time, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And in the end, it was just, well, doesn't matter anymore. No. One. One. Let me give you some terms. The word to denominate, we don't find it in the Bible. And that's the reason why I'm saying this is not a good way to go. Denominate. To name, to classify, to categorize into subunits. Okay? It's like you're sitting there and, you know, if you have that Ginzu knife that you paid just two bucks for or ordered it on the TV, you know, and it's still sharp, you know, you get in this cutting phrase, don't you? Chop, 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 chop. No. One. 
Not many, one. So what happens? Well, the first century church, they're our brethren. A matter of fact, we're gonna look at some passages in just a moment. They were concerned about being one, okay? Not many, concerned about being one. Well, what happens? Another group comes along, they divide off of that, divide off of that, divide off of that. There's problems over whether how a person should be baptized. Do you immerse them or pour water on them or sprinkle them? Actually, in the original, Chuck will tell you, there's, there's three different words for that. Matter of fact, in the very translation of our Bible, they didn't, they don't put the word for immerse in there. Okay, there's been a couple versions that have come out. Brother Hugo McCord, most notably, I think was one of the last ones that came out with that. One of the first ones in the American Restoration Movement to accurately translate, that was Alexander Campbell, I think, in the Living Oracles, is that correct? The idea is that the way we translate the Bible, we've, we've divided this thing up. So you have this religious group, that religious group, this religious group, that religious group, and then you look in the Bible and you see one. There's denominations, that's what it is. Well, we follow this, we follow that, we follow this. We need to follow Christ, brethren, one. There's non-denominations. These people gone a step further. Well, we're not going to make any denominational distinctions. Well, what do you do? Well, we accept everybody. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and that's it. Hold it for a second. What about confessing Christ as Lord? What about repenting of your sins? What about being baptized into Christ and living a faithful life and worshiping and honoring God according to what this book says? One. Nope. It doesn't matter which one. And now, where we're coming from, and that's why I've entitled this undenominational Christianity. I don't believe in anything more than one. Oh, you're, you're, you're one of those Church of Christers that says you're the only ones that are going to heaven. You're the only ones that are saved. I said, no, get them back to the Bible, brethren. This is the key. There's only one body. Matter of fact, if they have problems with that, take a look at Ephesians 4, verse 5. One Lord, one what? Faith. You know, anytime that word faith is used, not describing the activity of believing or trusting, it's talking about a pattern of belief. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's above all, through all, and in you all. How can we be undenominational Christians? Very quickly. Number one, teach and practice one. Get back to the Bible. The church, as it began in the first century, was one. 
Doesn't it make sense to get back to what it's talking about there? 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, you, you all, I want to say all of you, but down here it's y'all, right? <laughs> you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions of, among you. Guess what? He's talking to people who are divided as far as their thinking goes, but they hadn't split and got different buildings or taken the, the printer or the copier along, have they? They're still together, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. What is he talking about? One. How do you do it? You've got to want to be one. He's not talking about enforcement. He's not talking about gaslighting or or, or, or trying, trying to propagandize people into thinking all the same or brainwashing. He's saying the way that the church has unity is everybody needs to want to be one. That's just what Jesus said. What about 1 Corinthians 12, 12, a little bit later on, same letter. For as the body is one has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. When it talks about the term Christ there, it's talking about the body of Christ. It's talking about the church. Who's the head of that body? Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a moment, too. But we're members of that one body. How many bodies? One body. Oh, I see I don't know about you, I, I looked it up the other day, there's at least 10, 12 different religious groups in Ulaga. One, not 12. Where do you find, where do you come up with that, Bill? It's in the Bible. Mm. What are they gonna think about this? Well, there's two different views of this one body. Let me give it to you quickly. The denominational view is that everybody, that one body is the church universal. God sort of gathered us all together. And that's only through faith. Believers can exist and be faithful to God either in or out of any religious body denomination that expresses faith in Christ. Let me qualify this to anybody who's listening over the internet or whatever. I'm saying this is what other religious groups believe. This is not what the Bible teaches. They teach that one can join the church of their own choice. Matter of fact, back in the 60s, remember the National Ad Council? This Sunday, attend the church of your choice. One of the guys that used to do a little cartooning for some of our brotherhood papers where it looked like a figure that looked like Jesus came and crossed out your and put Christ on there. <laughs> I don't think you'd do that. Being a member of any denomination has nothing to do with salvation, thus they can set requirements as they wish. That's not in the Bible. I was almost a member of the Baptist church. Beyond, they told me and told me, well, we can baptize you into Christ. And I said, well, can you do it for the remission of sins? And they hedged on that. But he said, well, you know, first we got to vote you in. I said, well, give me book, chapter, and verse for that one. 
well, that's just the way we do it. I said, well, that's not the way I do it. I came here to to find the New Testament church. You're not the New Testament church if you're putting in stuff that shouldn't be in there. You know, being big has its advantages sometimes. <laughs> What's the biblical view? Let's give it to you quickly. Faith needs to be expressed in repentance. That's a faith activity. We believe in God. We believe in Christ. We understand that we need to follow him. Jesus says repent. Matter of fact, Jesus repeated himself, didn't he? Doesn't do that too much. Didn't do that too much at all in the New Testament. But there in Luke, the third chapter, 13th chapter, excuse me, you got to realize that, that, that us older preachers dislocate sometimes, right? Luke 13, 3 and 5, repent or perish. He repeats it. You know, it's, it's a change of mind that causes a change of heart that causes a change of life. Repentance. And we confess that means to openly admit we confess Christ as Lord. When you go out that door, guess what? One of your tasks are to, through your life and through your lips, you confess Christ as Lord. And then you're baptized. We dealt with that in Bible class today, so I won't go to any great lengths at that. Chris does a great job on that. Repent, let every one of you be baptized baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Some versions have clothed. That's a good analogy. It doesn't say you join a church in the Bible. According to some of the more, I would say, accurate translations, as a matter of fact, they, somebody lopped off the last, last two words in Acts, the second chapter. And really, it wasn't Acts, the second chapter when they lopped them off. It was just the end of the thought. They lopped off the church. It talked about in Acts 2.47, the Lord added to the what? Add it to their number? No, to the church daily, those who were being saved. I was added to the church. I couldn't be voted in. I couldn't just walk in. I need to be added by the Lord. That's the key. See, there's a line between lost and saved in Acts 22, 16. Here's an interesting question. We don't often deal with this. We go with the second part of the verse. But the question is, why are you waiting? Hold it for a second. Ananias had just taken the scales off his eyes for the first time in three days. Paul is, Saul is see, seen. And he, he's probably thanking God there and said, hold it. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Hey, we dealt with that idea in Acts 2, didn't we, today? All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do you call on the name of the Lord? And I just showed us there. Arise and be baptized. That's a couple participles which modify be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What is baptism all about? It's your sins being washed away because you're calling on the name of the Lord.
That's it. That's it. I could go into a lot more detail on Romans 6, but I think a lot of you know that. The issue is the distinction between the faithful and the unfaithful is not party or brand loyalty, but being true to God's word. There are no subgroups in the church. Why? One means one. What we have to do, brethren, we need to teach and practice the unity of faith in the Bible. To be a Bible believer, and this is going to sound strange to some of you, I hope it doesn't, but to honestly be a person who wants to restore New Testament Christianity, you have to refuse what's happening out there in the religious world. I don't hate the people there, but I guarantee you one thing. They're steering people the wrong way, left and right, big time. I don't hate them. I love them. We need to teach them. And that's another point coming up. But we need to do that. We're an age of tolerance. Oh, well, that's what you think. No, what, what does God's word say? Postmoderns are big on this. Well, that's what I believe. Well, what you believe needs to be what God, God said. Let's get into the word. This is the key. Get them into the word. Well, these next points deal with that. Number two, we need to teach and practice that Christ is Lord. Jesus, not the church, is the Savior. I appreciate the time you spend on the Lord's Supper. That is key. That is crucial. And yet... We can't do like the Jesus movement did back in the 70s. Wow, Jesus, yes, the church, no. Uh-uh. Because the only way we honor Christ as Lord is through the church. It has to happen that way. Look at Ephesians, the first chapter. Look at 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. You can go all through the Bible on this. The key is practicing balance. We need to preach the man. Christ as Lord and Savior and the plan. I've heard people say, well, just preach the man and not the plan. Hold it for a second. How can you preach Jesus and leave out the plan of salvation? He is talking about that all the time, wasn't he? He and John were going around. Why in the world were they baptizing all those people? Although Jesus didn't personally baptize anybody, by the way. I think there's a good reason for that. Why did they do that? Being faithful is not maintaining brand loyalty. It isn't. It isn't. I need to be a, a person of the book. I need to study what this book says. In Ephesians, the third chapter, it talks about what the church needs to be and what the church needs to do based on God through Christ. Beginning verse 16, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond 
all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. Listen to this in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our unity is based on our relationship with Christ and flows towards our relationship with each other. It needs to be nurtured. Otherwise, brethren, and this is something I don't want the church to be, we can't turn into a worship society or a social club where all we do to get, well, we're just here to worship, that's it. No, we're here. Remember in Acts 2.42, they mentioned the word fellowship in there, don't they? We're here to encourage one another. But yet you can take that overboard and we become a social club. We need to remember one, one body, one Lord. Number three, we need to teach and practice that the word is the seed. Prophets and preachers of the New Testament showed us that the early message that believers believed and practiced was a type of broadcast evangelism. They went everywhere preaching the word, didn't they? According to Acts 8 verse 1. The gospel message could and must be preached to all and it would produce the same results. Of course, some would say, well, nobody wants to believe that today. Well, get them back in their Bibles. You know, by and large, people are ignorant of what this book says. I remember back a couple decades ago, anybody watch Jeopardy? I don't, Alex Trebek did a great job. I like watching Alex Trebek. I like the music, you know. They're waiting around for somebody to put an answer down there. They always had this stuff on the Bible and said, why in the world does that seem so simple? It's because nobody knows what the Bible says anymore. Some of our brethren don't. I mean, do you know where the book of Hezekiah is? Not in there, by the way. <laughs> we need to understand something here. When we take a look at God's word, let's be consistent about this, okay? What did Peter preach in Acts, the second chapter? God revealed him. You killed him. God raised him. You, you, you are responsible for that. I'm not saying we have to go around putting a, a super heavy on people, but you know something? I think one of the reasons why they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Why were they cutting their heart? Because Peter made sure that they understood that they were personally responsible for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. I appreciate what Mike Roberts had to say about that. If you don't take this book personally, then you won't live it personally. It's that simple. This is the seed. The seed is the word of God. Well, no, no, but, oh, come on. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live a faithful life. 
there is material in this building that will give you that. Just go out, well, what if they balk at it? If they balk at it, they balk at it. There are people, remember the rich young ruler? He did a 180 on Jesus, didn't he? We need to preach and teach that. Consistency. Paul obeyed in Acts 22, 16, the same way that Cornelius obeyed in Acts 6, Acts 10 and the Ethiopian in Acts 8. They were baptized into Christ. They heard the gospel. That's where the consensus is, the gospel. Paul talks about it. How many gospels does he talk about there in Galatians 1, 7 through 12? One. Talks about the truth in Ephesians 4, 14. This is called sound doctrine in 1 Timothy 4, verse 5. It's called the faith in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Of course, in Jude, the third verse there, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. How many times does this thing about one have to come up? We need to understand that and appreciate that. Let's continue on this very quickly. And finally, correctness. From the words of Jesus in the New Testament, he warns against people falling away and not being that one. I had a guy that I was trying to reach for Christ and he was out in the denominational world. He was preaching, as a matter of fact. And he is talking about, you know, Jude and Second Peter and all the warnings they had there. I asked him, I said, well, who would you consider to be a false teacher? And he sat there and thought, and he said, well, maybe it's the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Well, they call them cults because they're not standard fare at denominationalism. You know, the issue is, I told him, I said, how far do you have to get away from God's word to be away from God's word? He never had an answer for me. I wish he did. We could have gone somewhere on that. That's the thing. Throughout your New Testament, even Jesus, remember there towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, to me will do what? Enter the kingdom. Matter of fact, they're going to give their, their spiritual pedigree. And Jesus is, what is he going to say to them there in verse 23, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. They thought they're doing a whole bunch of good things for Jesus, and guess what? Because they decided to do it their own way, they were practicing lawlessness. What are we doing? Second John 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. I mean, how clear can you get about this? What is he talking? He's talking about one. The only way to get back to simple New Testament teaching is to focus on God's word. You have to excuse me. I want to make sure I'm accurate, so I'm going to have to go by notes. One body, one Lord, one source, the Word of God. This last one, 
Uh, don't get too comfortable because here's where we really need to be careful. We need to teach and practice that we are teachers and not judges all the time. Now, we're supposed to judge. Jesus told us we need to judge righteous judgment. That was in response in John, the fifth chapter, the people were saying he wasn't what he was. I know Romans, the 14th chapter, this talks about opinions, but look at the concept here in verse four. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Okay. We need to draw a clear line between lost and saved, but we need to be, our attitude needs to be teaching people. Ephesians 4, verse 15, talking about how Christians relate to one another and grow. We're supposed to be truthing it literally in love. In verse 15, there are no double standards. In 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, it says what? Preach the word and be what? Instant, in season, out of season. When you're preaching, you know, put the finger up in the wind and figure out which way the wind's blowing. You just keep preaching the word. You don't do that. Notice in Titus, the first chapter, Paul tells Titus in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Okay. The idea is down there in verse 13, it says, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The same word for convict is rebuke there. Brethren, we're going to have to understand something, okay? Uh, it's not different strokes for different folks, but in some situations, we need to be a lot more earnest about stuff. So interesting, we're looking down the road here. I, I held Collinsville, Oklahoma in high esteem before I even got out here because I thought, man, alive, you know something? That thing with Marion Gunn and everything they went through there, you, you know there are denominations that hold us in esteem because we actually practice church discipline, something they like to do, but they never do. I think the unfortunate thing about what happened down the road here and what happened in Superior Court in the state was that brethren got gun shy doing what's right. Now, we need to correct brethren, but we need to do it in love. We need to try to reach people. We need to try to adore the doctrine of Christ. But don't, don't ever get to a point where you're saying, well, we need to teach, and that's important, but, you know, we don't want to be too judgmental. If a person is bucking against this, if somebody's trying to divide the body, schism us up into pieces, we need to stand true. A lot of people say, well, hold for a second, Bill. I know we need to be loving. I know we need to be caring, but we need to be firm on the truth, definitely. But what about 1 Peter 3.15? It talks about with meekness and fear. Those terms are dealing with not just how we deal with people, but primarily how we deal with God. I'm not a religious know-it-all because I don't know it all. I'm still studying it. 
but that's what we need to do. How can we be a godly remnant in the world today? Sorry, I've gone over a little bit on this. Keep a strong commitment to teach and preach what the Bible says. Brethren, we can reach people, but we're going to have to get them back to the Bible. Are we going to reach 3,000 in one day? I would like to, but the reality of it is that may not happen right away. may not happen at all. But I'm going to keep teaching and preaching because this is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Yes, this is the power. It's in God's word. Keep a strong commitment to teach and practice the New Testament. Are there times when we're going to have to judge and draw a line? Yes. But first and foremost, go in there and teach and speak the truth in love. If somebody's bucking against it, draw the line. And if somebody says, I don't want this, I always leave the conversation. Well, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. If ever you want to come back and study this again, feel free to give me a call, please. We need to have that strong commitment. We need to call others to come and follow us with this. Because maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit sensitive here. Give me a couple minutes on this, but uh when somebody starts bragging about all their church does, we do this, we do this, we do this. Why in the world doesn't Bill or any of us chime back and say, you know what? We're trying to be just Christians according to the Bible. I believe the beauty of following Jesus is found in that. You ever think about that? Hmm. Thirdly, we need to be examples to the world. Why in the world are we called living letters? Why are we called lights to the world? Why are we called leaven? Why are we called those things? Brother, I think we can hold to Matthew 16, 18. We want, we want to be Christ's church. We want to make sure the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it, or Hades, I should say. That's a better translation. In Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What are we going to do for it? Brethren, I'm done for today. No, we're, we're just beginning. One still means one. I'm not saying that to exclude. I want to include. If you're here today and the things that I have said made sense, but you haven't practiced them in your life, that's why you have an invitation song. We want you to live consistently before God. If you need to come believing and repenting and confessing Christ as Lord, you want to be baptized into Christ. Got a little lake back here. We can get, get you all situated and nothing flat. We can help you in your obedience, but the bottom line is you need to do it according to what this book says. Nothing more, nothing less. One is still one. Think about that. And if we can help, 
come on down as we stand and sing.